This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Fern Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Today, in this episode, we're going to talk about ooh, a little dirty secret, and that is basically do not let in bad actors, bad people. How do you decide who's a bad actor, who's a bad person? Well, you can't discriminate. You can't say because they're white, black, purple, orange, yellow, or green. you got to look at some sort of objective tenant screening procedures, tenant screening measures, okay? There are a couple ways to do this. A lot of people do the, the old, like, computer-generated test. You look at Rent Manager or some other service that says, hey, their, te- their credit score was... 600, they have no felonies, they have no evictions, boom, they're in. That's definitely efficient. It's fast. You can probably get the results in in merely minutes. Another option is to go with a company that actually does a screening. We use a company that are out of the St. Louis area called Landlord Tenant Services, and Carla is the owner of that company. They're really solid. They're going to be slower, but they're going to be more thorough. They actually do things like call the last landlord call two landlords ago why do they do that well it makes some sense doesn't it if if the last landlord is looking to get rid of johnny deadbeat and you call him he's gonna say oh yeah johnny's great oh don't let him leave he's been so awesome and they're not gonna be honest and truthful but two landlords ago they have no skin in the game they're gonna say oh my gosh johnny deadbeat was the worst i would never do it again okay makes sense they also ask questions like so let's say, for example, your your home rent is 800 bucks. If the person has a false alibi or a false landlord or reference, that person's not going to know all the facts. They're going to know, yeah, this guy lives with me. I've had friends, like, I had a friend, this is kind of crazy, a really good buddy of mine. I was his best man at his wedding, actually. And he had a, he had a little down sport, down uh, downturn in his career there for a minute. And he's like, hey, I'm applying for this job at an IT company. And... I told him that I was, like, supervisor of IT at a different company, and I have, like, all these certifications and degrees and stuff. And I listed you as a reference. Can you just tell them it's all accurate? And I was just like, dude, no. I don't want to be in the middle of this lie. This is crazy. And you're not going to – it's not going to work. Even if I lie for you, like, you're going to last, like, two days in this company because you, you don't – like, if I say, oh, I'm a brain surgeon. And they give me the first brain surgery, and I'm like, oh, crap. I was actually an accountant. This doesn't really carry over. Like That's what he was basically trying to do. It made no sense, but I got out of that one. But tenants do it all the time. They say things like, oh, I'm a great tenant. Call my call my buddy. And you call their buddy. So what Landlord Tenant Services does is they'll call. They know the applicant wrote the $800 for rent, which is probably accurate. And they'll call the, quote, pretend landlord. And they'll say, hey, um, is John Smith your tenant? Oh, yeah, John, he's the best. We've... We've never had a better tenant. Oh, and he's paying nine seventy five every month on time? Oh, yeah, like clockwork. Boom. Caught him in a lie. Because the real landlord would know. They're not paying nine seventy five. They're paying 8 or 8 dollars whatever the number is. Okay, it's a racket. It's a scam. 
So there's something to be said for the personal touch. That goes for employment background checks, for uh, landlord background checks, for personal references. We include in our application things like, please identify three people who are in emergency contact. I consider non-payment of rent an emergency. So if you call that person and say, hey, John, just let's use an emergency contact. In the event that he can't pay rent, are you willing to cover his rent? What? No way. John's a deadbeat. John would never pay rent. I'm not covering that. Get that off my list. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, that tells you something, right? So you have to be cognizant of FHA, you know, fair housing, local and state laws. You can never be discriminatory, but there are some strategies that, frankly, can help enhance better than the computer in my opinion, despite being you know, less efficient from a speed perspective. The key is just to be fair and uniform. And the way you do this is you write down a, you know, your, your tenant screening procedures. Anybody that goes to iTunes and gives me a, a five-star review, I'm gonna, I'll send them a, this is not legal advice, this is non-binding, I'll send them a copy of some generic, quote, generic tenant screening procedures. Those tenant screening procedures I think are good. I would almost use them in my company, if you know what I mean. So, have been writing, review them. You should have annual meetings for your LLC or your company, and these these minutes will reflect which are among other things, what your tenant screening procedures include. And what we do we say, hey, proceed through each step in order until an applicant is rejected or accepted. They get rejected, then move, then just move on. So, you know, step one: always treat potential residents without discrimination and fairly in compliance with all laws. It's pretty obvious, right? You didn't have to pay big bucks for that podcast. Okay, number two, require the interested individual to fill out the application. Duh, makes sense. There's some sub-categories here I'm not going to go through in the interest of time and brevity, but I think you get it. Make them fill out the application. Boom. Number three, collect the application fee. We charge 50 bucks per adult. We make zero dollars in that. That goes to LTS, right? We, that's just their fee. We have an online link. It's an online application. They pay them direct. We're not even in the business of collecting that money. We used to collect the cash and pay with a receivable it was, or payable, I guess, and it was a pain. We just now do it online. If somebody doesn't have IT capability, you help them out. You walk up there. We've got a lot of tenants that are very senior, very uh, foreign, that do not have English as a first language, and you got to walk them through it. The next fourth step is you review the application and see if they'll pass the income requirements. I mean, if it's, if they're income, if they're like, hey, I'm gonna apply and I have no, I have no income, I'm homeless, I just want a place to live. It's like, we can process this, but I just have a pretty good feel you're gonna make no dollars. No dollars means no, no passage. Okay, sorry guys. And some people say like, hey, I'm, a, I've had people, I've had been in the room with the guy one time actually, and he's like, I've got a little bit of a criminal background. I'm like, okay, what is it? I'll let you know. I mean, you can apply. I'm not going to discriminate against you, um, unless the quote, unless the law law allows. And he's like, "I'm a sex offender. Is that unit by the playground available?" I kid you not. He said that. And the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I was just like, you know, there's there's salvation in Jesus, in 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 the next life. But at this moment, I was like, dude, you cannot have that. You cannot have a second chance at my Malone Park, because that is. It's pretty scary. And I said, sorry, I'm going to save you 50 bucks, dude. You're not going to get approved. I am, am allowed. You know, not that all sex offenders are irredeemable and bad people. But I have an obligation and I think a moral responsibility to protect, among others, the children in my communities. 
and and the guy referenced, "Can I have the open house by the playground?" I was like, "Dude, you you're gone, gone." And it was it was really awkward to be honest. But you know you can do that. You can discriminate on that. Is that the only only thing you discriminate on? Um, you can you know I review the application for factors likely to lead to rejection. We still submit them, but you know if the rental price is greater than thirty five percent of your gross income, it's going to be hard for your debt to income ratio. You know, there's, we look for things like violent felonies in the last 10 years, drug-related felonies in the last 10 years, other crimes that put others at risk, like sexually-related or child-sexual-related convictions. Bankruptcies are an issue. Garnishments, collections, other credit issues, they're an issue from a financial feasibility standpoint. And we submit the application to the background check for the credit and criminal check. They contact employers, references, prior landlords. They verify income expenses. They verify assets and liabilities. They look at the credit score. And we get a recommendation from LTS. We evaluate the recommendation and we report and the report from the company, including those you know aforementioned items, and then we make a decision. Because there is some you know quote subjectivity in this, but it's not really that subjective. It's I have no reason to reject you if you meet the criteria. Like why would I? I don't care if you work as a frankly as a stripper, as a teller at a bank, as an engineer. If you meet the income and you meet the criminal recommendations, I don't care. You're approved. Okay, I'm not here to judge people on that. Um, but you got to look at the report, right? And then sometimes you discuss it with the provider, with the customer, and get more clarity. Sometimes it'll say something that's like, this looked like you were charged, but it was potentially dismissed. What's the deal? And you dig a little deeper. And if they're, if they're short financially, you sometimes consider potential co-tenants or co-signers. You also, you know, evaluate whether there's a requirement to notify the applicant of rejection. Typically... You know, you should notify the applicant, like, you were rejected. You're not really required, now, I don't know in every state or city, but in general, you're not really required to say, you were, you were rejected because you're a sex offender. You were rejected because you have no job, whatever it is. You used to say, yeah, I, management, hereby have reviewed your, you know, application in, in, in total, globally, for criminal credit, eviction, and other applicable reasons, and we've decided not to offer you occupancy. End of story, right? And if, if they make that, if they pass that, you you offer the lease. to the, You basically accept the applicant. You offer them a lease. If they accept it, which they most of the time do, but sometimes they just, they just ghost you. And if they actually accept it, you then you collect the deposit. Security deposit, I like to collect two times rent, but some states only allow you one month. Sometimes you get a month-to-month lease, it's only one month, it's one year. you got to look at your state rules, but basically collect the security deposit and collect the first month's rent. Execute at least two copies of the lease. Give them a copy. You keep a copy, right? And then allow the move-in only after the collection of the, the deposit, the rent, and execute lease. Then give them the standard under leasing documents, the rules and regulations. This is before they sign, by the way. The rules and regs, if there's some sort of acknowledgement document received, like a like a lead paint disclosure or some other Department of Public Health, uh, you know, the, the move-in, move-out checklist, these sort of things. Give them all that. Sign the lease. Take their money. Deposit your bank account. Give them the keys. Make sure they got their utilities in their name. And you're off and running. But again, the key is to have written legal, legitimate tenant screening procedures, which which may be as simple as the robot does it for us. But if it's not that simple, then 
that's okay, but just recognize the pros and cons of that. So ultimately, it is, a, it is immensely better to reject a bad tenant than to accept a bad tenant and have to, have to evict them later. We turn down, I don't know the percentage offhand, but I would definitely say it's more than half. So just for reference, we reject more than half of our applicants. And I would much rather sit there for a month of vacancy than go through somebody that's going to be there for four months and quit paying and then trash the place. And I think everybody gets that in concept, but in practice, I see people all the time. My dad used to be part of a landlord association in Illinois, and they had some procedure that was like, we got our own little blacklist. You know, oh, John Smith used to live with me. Don't rent to Jack, don't rent to Jack Smith or John Smith or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, you guys can't do that. That's totally discriminatory. You can't just, like, create your own, like, ad hoc, off-the-book blacklist. And and they, 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 wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't budge on that. So Dad eventually left that group because he didn't want to be part of that, that process. And really, that, that, that theory, if you will, on life and on judging people. But there were some fruits to it that, like, you could protect one another, but it was just it was an illegal process. Ultimately, you need to have processes, write them down, implement them, implement them, Fairly on all fronts, be prudent, be wise, and all will work well, right? Till next time, be smart, be safe, be legal. God bless. You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.